Suspend your disbelief. Let yourself be led down a path into the world of the paranormal, where ghosts, shadow people, cryptids, aliens, and all things supernatural dominate. Immerse yourself in a dimension of ominous trepidation with your hosts, Dan, Danny, and Rachel. Welcome to the Phantom Faction Podcast. Welcome to this edition of Phantom Faction Podcast. I'm Danny. I'm Dan. And I'm Rachel. Here we are uh, once again, and it's been a couple weeks. It has been a couple weeks, but it's been a busy couple weeks. It has been, yeah. Lots going on in everybody's personal lives and the ghost world. That's true. Rachel's been doing some readings, I hear. Yeah, yeah, keeping busy. And we... uh, We've been trying to get some investigations going. The the universe was messing with us a little bit, and it wasn't just work. It wasn't working out, but uh, yeah, I think we do have a couple lined up, and we're ready to go. So we'll have lots to talk about. Yeah, the um, universe very soon. screwed a lot of things up. The universe this year. <laughs> screwed a lot of things. Yes, thank you, coronavirus. <laughs> now I understand we have some uh, guests with us. We do. We have Sue. Area Ghostbusters from Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, and we have Mike, Michelle, and Luke. Hi, folks. Hey. Uh, you guys are from Sault Ste. Marie, the Michigan side, not not the Ontario side. Yes. Uh, and it is a, a town that I have been to in the past. Uh, all I can remember is uh, a bar where I left quite a bit of my <laughs> liver behind, and uh, the casino. <laughs> so it was a good night. I just don't remember much of it. I said you would fit right in. Okay. <laughs> but it didn't seem like an area to me, or not that I was paying attention anyway, that it would have a uh, be a hot spot for spirits. So is that something you're going to uh, change my mind about? Uh, we can try. All righty. I mean, <laughs> we, uh, we have a lot of uh, videos and audio clippings on our Facebook page. You know, we try to... Uh, when we first uh, started this whole this whole group, we wanted to uh, try and do everything as scientific as possible without using anything spiritual. Spiritual, right? But the more we the more we do it, the more we realize you kind of need the spiritual aspect. But we still try to keep everything grounded as much as possible. So we want to look for uh, um, anything that can explain. Yeah, basically, like any evidence that we collect, we're trying to see if there is a um, like a device that can prove that what we're actually getting is gathered. I guess you could say if that makes any sense. Supernatural or yeah, yeah, right, or a logical explanation. I guess is what you're. Yeah, whether that's a temperature change or anything of that nature, we just want to make sure instead of just doing like the whole like, oh, can you can you feel that cold spot right here? Mm-hmm. You know, we want to be able to. to say that we actually have a verifiable temperature change. We want something we can take with us and show other people to show that there really was something. Right, exactly. Uh, whose uh, idea was this uh, to put it to put this group together? Uh, mine. <laughs> Our fearless leader. <laughs> You're the fearless leader? And uh, was that because of uh, some maybe experiences you had or? I've had a couple experiences. So we lived on a on a reservation, Native American reservation growing up, and we've had some, we lived in a couple houses that we had to move out of. My mom moved us in there, and it was too, it was too much. She, had, she actually had a Catholic priest come over and try to bless the house at one point, but we ended up, ended up moving out. So after that, I started really studying and trying to, trying to explain what happened, like what we experienced. So I went to our local library, I did a lot of studying there, and the internet back then was just starting up. So I'd always go to my friend's house to uh, use his dial-up internet, and I was not be on there for hours trying to do research, trying you know find other people out there who have had uh, similar experiences. So it was an on and off uh, hobby I've had throughout junior high, junior high and high school. And so, what kind of things were happening in your childhood home then? Uh, the the cupboards would. There'd be knocking on the cupboards, uh, things opening and shutting. Uh, my sister saw a, a white entity, white glowing entity in her living room running around in circles really fast. <laughs> my mother went to uh, a medicine man who's a Native, Amer- Native American priest. And uh, he said that there was some kind of like a, I don't want to say a demon, 
because demons are rare, but there's a, some type of negative entity in the house that was trying to hurt us. Or, so we ended up moving out. Did you move out because of the activity in the home? Yeah. Yep. Now, uh, who are the poor people that took over the house? I have no idea. <laughs> and, uh, did you ever go back and check on them and make sure they're okay, or you just let it, you know? I just drive by every now and then. <laughs> just look and see if anybody's living there or not. See if anybody's out front with their heads spinning around in circles, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever have a desire to go back and investigate that place? Not particularly. You know, I was uh, I was a kid, so yeah. my, I have vague memories of living there, so I just hear the stories from my, my mother, my sister, and my brother. Luke, what about you? Well, um, I have a, I've been raised like Roman Catholic, so they, you know, my family was all, uh, they're saying that ghosts aren't real and there's only three possible destinations where you can go, but I couldn't explain some of the things where, you know, I'd be walking through a cemetery and seeing little shadows darting out of the corner of your eye and you turn and you're not really seeing much. Um, but I think it's more of like a, you know, it, it's literally always interested me. And, uh, you know, when I, I went to school with Mike and every once in a while we'd go do ghost hunts in the local cemetery and stuff. And it just literally always interests me. And uh, um, from going to one of the local cemeteries around here and getting scratched, I decided that that's kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to find out an explanation if I can prove that uh, that I'm not just crazy. That that I have that I can prove that we have something on the other side. And if I can do that, then now was this was it the stereotypical three scratches that you got? Yeah, I have uh, photos of that on my Facebook. It was three scratches across my chest right here, and then three across my belly. And in a, in a cemetery. Yes, hmm. and that was at a, a Mission Hill Cemetery, which is uh, famous for being a native burial ground. Hmm. Because a lot of uh, a lot of the local a lot of the local tribes have that they it's still an active cemetery. So you, know, you always hear about uh, paranormal paranormal investigators avoiding cemeteries because they're so quiet. You know, the spirits don't tend to linger where they're buried. They go back to the place where they lived or they worked, and. Uh, you know, you, don't, you never really think about any uh, harmful, you know, quote-unquote demonic entities hanging out of the cemetery. No. Were you doing anything to provoke anything, or were you calling on no. something to uh, to attack you? No, I, I wasn't. I take it very seriously that when we go into a location, you have the utmost respect for, for the dead and the spirits. Now, this was in the infancy of trying to get a, a paranormal group started, and uh, one of those things where, hey, you know, we're going to get some friends together, and those friends had friends, and we're like, hey, we're going to go ghost hunting. Well, in the commission of doing that, they were doing the whole typical, uh, you know, like, show yourselves, you cowards, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I want no part. I'm going to go this way. And uh, from what, what they were saying when they were on the other side of the cemetery doing the whole, like, uh, basically being antagonizing, saying, scratch one of us, push one of us. And I was on the other side of the cemetery and my stomach started burning. And uh, I look under my shirt and I see I got three claw marks starting on my belly. And when I told them, one of the younger kids there, he was, he basically said, oh, I told one of, I told him to scratch one of us. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't play that. <laughs> I don't play that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. Thanks a lot, buddy, um, right? But usually where I go and I try to, uh, we, we try to go above and beyond and try to show respect because ultimately they're there longer than we are and that's, that could be their household, you know what I mean? Right. So we, we, don't want, we don't want to do that sort of stuff. So I quickly cut ties with that and continued to find like-minded people who have respect. So. And that brings us to Michelle, who's just ready to spit out all of her... <laughs> Ghost stories. <laughs> well, mine's probably a little less dramatic uh, than theirs. I was raised by very logical religious parents, but my grandparents on my father's <laughs> side that live around here lived. Uh, it turns out I learned after their death that they were more into this kind of stuff, like paranormal. I uh, 
well, it was decided that I should get all my grandpa's old books that are all like the unexplained mysteries of the world, paranormal hauntings, all this stuff that I never knew he was into. The day of his funeral was uh, my first experience with anything I would say was paranormal. Uh, he was, you know, had very, very bad circulation when uh, in the last part of his life. Every time he came over, we had to turn the heat almost all the way up. Uh, there was this, he was a mechanical guy. Uh, there was a car radio that he'd been meaning to fix. He kept saying he was going to fix it for about 15 years. So we come back from the funeral and our thermostat is turned all the way down. None of the kids, including myself, are uh, tall enough to touch this thing yet. It's, you know, kind of, I think it was winter, so it was no reason for it to be turned all the way down. Then uh, the same day, my aunt gets into the car that the radio hasn't worked in 15 years, and the radio suddenly comes on as soon as she starts it, full blast. Kind of felt like a way of him saying, everything's okay now, he's in a better place type thing. It was the first real weird thing that we couldn't explain. Um... After that, I you know, went to college, started uh, my careers and everything, but I always worked in restaurants, which if you're familiar with any of the culture there, almost every restaurant, all the employees will say it's haunted. I've watched videos where wine bottles would get knocked off the counter one at a time, no one's around, no one's been around. I've seen people on the line when I turn around that you know, I was the only person there or something. So little things like that, you just kind of get used to it. And I heard you say earlier, you don't really think of uh, Sault Ste. Marie as like one of the big hot spots, but uh, and depending on who you ask, uh, there's some argument about the definition of you know when cities were founded and stuff, but Sault Ste. Marie was founded in 1668. Uh, there was obviously Native Americans living here long before that. And it's considered by some to be the third oldest uh, city in the United States. And it's the oldest city in Michigan. Plus, we're right on Lake Superior, where we're known for shipwrecks. Mm -hmm. So there's just a lot of general hauntings. Almost everyone has some kind of story around here. We don't have, you know, a Hinsdale or uh, any of the, the big uh, the big star places. But we do have, you know, just about every place around here. Uh, a lot of the buildings downtown were built, are still standing from when the city was first built with rocks. Uh, dredged from the canal when they were uh, digging that out. And they're just very, very, very old buildings, a lot of history, all the cemeteries. Um, again, you know, we, we went to a lot of cemeteries at first just kind of testing equipment and stuff, and most of them were pretty quiet. But we did get a lot of hits in some places, especially this little place, Potter's Field, where it's the first time I've been called a very ugly name by a... Uh, spirit uh, uh, out of our portal. It was kind of surprising. <laughs> um, but uh, Potter's Field is, uh, they actually someone went through and got all the history of everyone that they could find that was uh, buried there. So they weren't buried with love for the most part. Not, not say that infants, the infants were all like, you know, under a few months old, under a few weeks old, under a few days old. Uh, buried by families who couldn't afford a full funeral. This was just where they were allowed to put the bodies, basically. Uh, unmarked graves. Um, I think the oldest we saw there was something 120 years old, so it was just all over the place. But places where people who didn't belong anywhere else almost got, got buried. And it seemed like that was actually a lot, a lot of negative activity there. But just... There's, there's an incredible amount of history and culture here where just kind of everyone's used to something happening Especially in these places. with Maple Ridge Cemetery, when we had, uh, we were standing right next to a stone and we were asking what the, uh, you know, can you tell us our, your names? And we heard across in our, through our portal speaker, it says, I know what this is about, Lambert. And we looked right to us, right to the left of us at one of the stones it looked like it said Amber, but the L and the T on Lambert was weather worn off. And it was, I think, 1908 or something like that. But she something. And again, that one, there's a lot of bad history, a lot of people dying from sicknesses. Yeah. Uh, and then going back to the bars, a lot of people getting drunk and freezing to death in the streets. Oh, yeah. Um, that was actually on tombstones and such. So. <laughs> Uh, uh, again, kind of a lot of negative history there. 
We call that Tuesday around here. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, it sounds like uh, you you are the one to dwell into the history of, of these things. I uh, yeah, I just I kind of do a lot of the research uh, when we when we pick a place to start looking at. Every uh, growing up, my mom and my my dad were both really into history. All our family vacations were going to Boston. Uh, you know, going and seeing all the historic places on the, uh, the East Coast there. Everything had a purpose. So every time we go somewhere, I try to look up a history on it. But the guys do a lot of it, too. I just, you know, that kind of hit me uh, when you said that. I'm like, oh, well, let's, let's see real quick. I just uh, drew up the history to uh, refresh myself. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's I, I try to learn the, the background because, obviously, that's, what we're going to be dealing with when we go into these places, mm-hmm. try to find out, well, the yeah. background of who we might be talking to, who we might be connecting with, where they're coming from, what they went through. And that helps us identify uh, key elements when we're communicating mm-hmm. with spirits and such. You know, it helps to know that you know, okay, there's a good chance they may have died of a plague or uh, when we went to Gettysburg just recently, you know, listening for terms that might be related more to fighting. Um, what was... Yeah, we, we got a, an EVP that came across that said, uh, uh, why are we all sick? Yeah, why are we all sick? Um, everything is lost. Yeah. Things like that, right in the middle of a battlefield. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it turned out that a lot of people in the Civil War died from disease. Oh, yeah, it's the infections that killed them, not not the the bullet wound, right? Yeah, it was something, oh gosh, what was it, 70, ooh, see, I'm forgetting the numbers now, it was, it was almost something like 70% of the people that actually died in the war died more from diseases or infections later on or before the, you know, battles would even start because... Poor hygiene. They were, they didn't have uh, set up latrine areas. Soap and water wasn't readily available or um, recognized as being as important as it was. So just a lot of deaths from just general diseases, malaria. Uh, the bugs were really bad. Mosquitoes were awful in some places. Tying what we're hearing when we're talking to spirits uh, with, you know, what might have been happening to them, and it helps us uh, make some sense of it, I guess. Yeah. Right. It sounds like you do uh, quite a bit of traveling then. We're just getting into more of the long distance uh, things. We, you know, try to see what other people are doing. There's obviously not a whole lot around us. Uh, yeah, you got to tra- you got to travel pretty far from your location for sure, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you just you we just do- contacting local businesses um, from other people who used to work at the local businesses about the places being haunted. And nobody would, would give back to us. And then we heard that maybe it's because they don't want that kind of image for their business. Yeah. Yeah. We've yeah like we're a very, we're a smaller town, smaller city. And obviously everybody knows anybody around this area. So you hear a lot of hearsay about locations like, say, um, just for example, the, the Sioux Theater, which is a very, very old theater that they're doing renovations on. Um and I specifically have talked to them on a couple occasions, and the people who are running that, they don't want to have, as Mike said, the negative connotation that there are spirits in there because, I mean, they have uh, little kids doing their dance recitals, they have little kids doing <laughs> piano lessons, and they just don't want to have, um, they don't want to have that image come across that, well, the dressing area where these kids are dressing is extremely haunted. They don't they don't want to have that. So we're having a harder time with people kind of t- you know grasping and saying, yeah, come on, do an investigation. Even though we plan on allowing people to have the option of going completely anonymous, like we say, we're on a location and not telling where that location is. Right. So now you recently did the Hinsdale House, but uh, for those who aren't aware of it, um, can you just give us a brief? Uh, bio on the property and then tell us what happened there? A big part of it that kind of made it famous all happened in the 1970s. Uh, the current owner is trying to renovate the house per that era. 
Um, that's when it was the Dandy family that uh, ran into a lot of issues, and they ended up, I believe they're the ones that just, they dropped everything, there was food on the table, they just, they just, they well, couldn't deal with it anymore. Yeah, there was also um, an exorcism that was, I guess, conducted on the house itself, and uh, the conclusion of it was that they were, they were told to vacate the premises, that there was a, basically, it was a lost cause, this, this house needed to be raised to the ground. Um, and I believe there is a tie to Ed Moraine Warren there, who kind of saw it as a, um, a way that if we kept the house in order, that we can do investigations that would prove a very vital, vital role in paranormal research. And over the course, I mean, it changed hands with people with that same mindset. And I, I don't, I unfortunately didn't go to that investigation and I'm looking forward, hopefully in the future going there. So, um, and where is it located? It's in New York, isn't it? New York City? Yes. Kingsdale, New York. Kingsdale, okay. New York, yeah. Okay. Now, uh, for the two of you that were there, or whoever was there, what kind of activity did you end up encountering? Well, I was very excited to go there. Like, I was, I was like, all right, yeah, this is like, a, this is like Amityville. This, we're going to see things, and we're going to get all kinds of evidence on our devices. And when we got there, uh, Billy? Yep. There, there's a woman there, very nice woman. She's a... A psychic medium. She gave us a brief history on the on the house and the things that happened there, and started giving us a tour of the house. And you, you could tell it's uh, all the decorations and the way it's furnished is very period specific from the 70s. This is what the current owner wants for. He wants it to look like he stepped back in the 70s when we go to this house. So uh, she's giving us the tour, and we go upstairs to the upstairs part. Now, keep in mind, I knew nothing about the house. But Michelle set up set it up. I didn't, I didn't know there was such a thing called Hinsdale House. But I was like, well, that's kind of cool. You know, it's a real haunted house. Let's check it out. So we go up to the upstairs part, and as soon as we get to the upstairs part, I started feeling uh, sickly. Like, like, I don't know how to explain it, but I, I didn't I didn't want to be up in the upstairs part for too long. I wanted to come back downstairs. So we came back downstairs, and uh, you know, we set up our equipment. We went and got a late dinner because we didn't want to start until it was dark, so it was nice and spooky. <laughs> and when we came back and uh, we started the investigation, and over the course of three hours, three and a half hours, yep. I started getting more sick. And it takes a lot for me to like for me to puke. I need to have like food poisoning, <laughs> like <laughs> like something really really bad. And I must have gagged about six times just walking around the house. And I avoided the upstairs. I, I, I didn't. I don't want to go up there. Now I sent Michelle and Austin, who was with us at the time, to the upstairs part to check it out. While I stayed downstairs, and I couldn't. I couldn't explain it. Like I just needed. I needed to avoid the upstairs part. And 1:30 in the morning rolls around. You know, after, we're, we're getting EMF hits. We got a little EMF teddy bear that we asked a little potential little girl spirit to, to touch, which it activated a couple times. We're still putting together the video. We'll post the video when it's done. It's pretty cool stuff. But 1.30 in the morning rolls around, and I, I told Michelle, I said, I can't stay here. I said, I need to leave. And, she, you know, she understood, and we started packing everything up, and we ended up leaving. I felt a lot better after we left the house, but that was the first time I ever felt like I was being drained. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the first time it's ever happened to me. I've heard of it happening to other paranormal investigators at other locations, which is one of my pet peeves watching, like, those ghost hunting shows, reality shows, where people, yeah. the investigators, they're like, oh, I feel, I feel sick, you know, let's go. And I'm, I blow it off, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, that's the first time it's ever happened to me, you know. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> I'll think twice before I start judging other people about what they feel. <laughs> so this investigation was, was recent, right? Yes. Okay, so now having um, gone through that sort of... Uh, uh, negative interaction with, which was probably a spirit wanting you to leave or draining you. Do you think you'll uh, do a little bit more to protect yourself or to prepare yourself before you go into yeah. places now? Yeah, sure. Like I, you know, I go back to what I said that you know, beginning at the beginning that we wanted to ground everything as scientific as possible. But the more we do this, the more we realize we have to we have to include the the mysticism and spiritual aspect of it too. Right. Yeah, we purposely didn't bring. 
you know, a couple pendants that uh, are usually on every trip that we go on. We didn't bring the sage that I usually bring with us, all that stuff. We purposely left all that stuff out. And I think we kind of paid the price for it. Do you, do you, um, think, do you think it was done was, on purpose or do you think whatever is in that home knew you were coming and maybe affected you a little bit? Well, that's interesting you said that because... It was kind of a last minute well, decision. Well, but she had a dream a couple nights before we went to the house. Yeah, um, I'm not one for generally having like really vivid dreams where I wake up out of it or something like that. But I, uh, I think it was only two nights before we actually went into the house itself. I had a dream where uh, it was actually the third person that was with us was acting really strange. We were at the house. Uh, he ended up holding me against the wall and choking me. And, like, at that point, like, I woke up and I hadn't been breathing or something. I was, like, gasping for breath. And that is not something that generally happens to me. Um, but when we got there, Billy was telling us the, the history of this. And one of the things she said is that there's a spirit there, Friedrich, and he doesn't like blondes, apparently, especially blonde women. And he tends to attack the necks of these women. And she showed us some pictures where one girl had uh, just scratches across the back of her neck, like actual real, like, I don't know, you'd almost have to have like a nail or something like doing that much damage. It wasn't just a couple little red marks, like it had actually scratched her and people talking about being uh, choked and stuff like that, which really rang a bell. While she was talking to us, you can see it on, on the, the video. I was in the uh, the picture, the frame when uh, this happened. I, you know, you can kind of see me kind of slap my face. And she's like, do you just feel someone uh, touch your face? I'm like, yeah, I think it was just a fly. She's like, there wasn't a fly there. So something was already kind of poking at me or something, I guess. But mm. yeah, that was a really unusual dream. And it kind of connected directly to the story she was telling us. It is incredible <laughs> how many times uh, we've figured out you know, even before we do investigations, that they know that you're coming. And I don't know if it's just because you're talking about it and you're putting a signal out or you're in the actual location talking to the owner, like a preliminary investigation. But it, it, almost, seems to, it almost seems to me like they, it knew you were coming and, you know, had some influence on you not wanting you to protect yourself. And uh, your partner here <laughs> suffered for it. I think there's more going on with that house and just spirits. Like there's our EMF detectors. Usually, if there's like a possible presence, they'll blip a little bit on the meter. Yeah. Uh, we have meters set up in the living room on a couch where supposedly there was an exorcism took place on the couch and one in the kitchen. And these things were going full, full blown every now and then, like all the way to the to the red LEDs. And I'm thinking, all right, well let's look at this from a, like a scientific point of view. Uh, maybe it's like a, you know, there's magnetic fields like waves going through kind of like the Bermuda Triangle maybe I don't know because it's up this house is all up in the hills it's up in the hilltop so I'm thinking well maybe that's why I got sick because these meters are going way like maxing out I've never seen anything like that before no big power lines there or anything no major power lines or anything like that no, this is like we had. I didn't have any phone reception it's out in the middle of nowhere and uh, another thing is our GPS on our phone worked fine when we were going there the first time. When we left to get food at the next town over, it was you know about a half hour drive there and back. We tried to get back there on the little. I mean, it is it is bad on some dirt roads. There's all these like little turns you have to hit, and it somehow led us back out to the main road after we'd been circling around these little roads. Like it led us in the wrong direction away from the house. <laughs> You know, I'm just going to tell you a quick story that kind of relates to that. Um, one of our, our, one of the original co-hosts, uh, John, who had to leave for uh, personal reasons, um, he was going to a home to help clear uh, a spirit. And uh, it's in a small town, very rural, not far from here. And uh, he put the location in the GPS, and the GPS worked fine until he got within a few miles of the location and it started acting weird and he pulled over and was going to reset the the gps or try and figure out what was going on and so he put the address back in and said okay you've got 13 kilometers left to go but he looked to his right and he was literally parked right outside the driveway of the home 
Oh wow, yeah, that's interesting. So whatever was there was trying to lead him away from the home, and uh, it's just by chance that he looked to the mailbox and the fire number and said, "Oh, <laughs> this is the place." But but the GPS was telling him he had uh, 13 clicks to go. So they do they do influence uh, electronics. They do influence people and. Uh, Oops, sorry, what? And it makes for great stories to tell, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And it was kind of one of those things where afterwards we were trying to figure out because there's, and sorry, when you asked about the history, I was trying to find actual dates, which I guess isn't as relevant as the events that happened, because there's both negative and uh, positive things there. So, you know, is it a matter that the negative things were trying to keep us away from the house, or was there something positive trying to protect us? That kind of thing. Um, there's been a murder where a brother, let's see, the, the two brothers. The one with the shotgun. Yeah, that's what I was about yep. to tell. Yep. Uh, they were known for luring stagecoaches and killing the uh, the owners and then taking all their valuables, selling the, hor or selling the horses and valuables and everything and burying the bodies on the property. And eventually they had a dispute and one brother shot the other one and uh, murdered him. Um, and then there's another case where there was a young lady, the history isn't quite known on her, there's a couple different versions, but she was basically kept as a mistress in the barn where the uh, pond is now, and she seems to be more of the benevolent spirit, actually, where, you know, she was murdered wrongly after being impregnated, um, sounds like against her will, um, that, or she was an unwed bride that townsfolk uh, uh, took uh, objection to and ended up killing her. There's a couple different uh, versions there, but she seems to be a more benevolent spirit. There's... She was the one that was hung on the property. Of yeah, she's, uh, she's the one where the famous case of the hanging tree from Hinsdale, she was, she was the victim there. Um, there's Mary's room where nothing specific about Mary was ever mentioned uh, in her history, uh, but her sister, Laura, ended up killing herself after living in this house for so long. Uh, after moving out, she ended up committing suicide. But in Mary's room, it's where the Ed and Lorraine uh, said that there was a portal. Uh, they just referred to it as a portal, and uh, it seems to be a place where there's a lot of the flies show up there for some reason and they just go nuts in that one room. And it seems to be where people end up really starting to feel very sick. Uh, the priest that did the house cleansing, he said uh, there was something very negative coming from the basement. So that's actually on complete opposite. You know, Mary's room is at the very top of the house. Obviously the basement's down low. Um, but the thing in the basement has never really been defined very well, but there, there seems to be like that back and forth there where there's some spirits, there's a lot of negative there, but there seems to be a few spirits that are more uh, benevolent and, you know, you kind of have to wonder like, you know, whatever was leading us away, what, maybe it was just a cell phone glitch, although it worked perfectly on the way, uh, way the way in for the first time, or maybe it was something trying to lead us away because it knew that it had connected to Mike and there was, there was a video clip when we were reviewing all the footage towards the end when I was feeling sick and I ended up laying down on the couch while they were packing up all the equipment. One of the, our pieces of equipment that we left out was our portal box. With We feed reverse speech patterns into it and anything that comes out. The theory is that, it's, that the spirit's manipulating the audio to speak with us. So we, we, we let it go while they're packing everything up and the words coming through, one of them asks, what's wrong with him? Like they were talking with another spirit in the room. As soon as you lay down on the couch. Yeah, like, so I, that goes back to what I said, that I think there's more going on with the house than just spirits. Hmm. You're listening to Phantom Faction Podcast. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfaction at outlook.com. Is it just the uh, three of you that do the investigation, or do you have other people and behind the scenes primarily it's it's us three we do have uh, another member but um we we comically have him fill in with like a, a teddy bear wearing his shirt <laughs> but, 
I think he's been with us once, but then we have Austin as well, who's Austin. the one who, the third person on our Hinsdale investigation. Right. He's a, he's, a, he's a skeptic. He's a skeptic in that he knows a lot about history himself. So we try to take at least one skeptic with us to keep us grounded. Which even he actually had a very uh, interesting experience uh, there, which seems to have kind of changed his views on things. He wanted to go out to the pond where the, the barn was. He took one of the EMS with him. And he walked out onto the brand new dock that uh, Daniel had just built out there. And right in the, you know, right on the water where there's not really any electricity or anything. It's not near the house at all. And the uh, EMS started looking on him. And because uh, he was actively trying to speak to the young lady who supposedly lived there before. And he said that really, uh, really affected him. He, he told me last night, and I was talking to him about it again. He said, that trip made me a... Maybe a believer. <laughs> um, right. But if anybody goes up there, you know, I think, I think they won't walk away unsatisfied if they're looking for something. Right. We might be looking for a new skeptic now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a, a a little bit about some of the equipment that you use on your investigation. You talked about uh, the one there, the portal. The portal. Yeah. What when EMF meters? Anything else that you use spe uh, specifically? Uh, an SLS camera, those are pretty cool. They have like a, it uses a, an Xbox Connect, it's repurposed. Right. So let's say that it, it tracks uh, motion. And when, it, when it senses and tracks motion, it builds a little yellow stick figure around whatever's, whatever's moving around in front of you. Mm -hmm. so, you know, that's kind of cool. I mean, sometimes it'll wrap itself around like a door frame or something or a cow, whatever. But sometimes we'll actually get something sitting in a chair, which is what happened at the Intel house. And to validate it, we ask it to raise its hand, you know, left hand or right hand. And if it does, and it does, it's validation. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier that you had a psychic medium join you on one of the investigations. Is that is that something that uh, you try to do uh, as much as you can? Or have any of you over time developed any you know, clairvoyant or mediumship abilities just by opening up to the spirits? None of us are really sensitive in that way. The The lady we were talking to actually works with Daniel, the owner of the current owner of the house. She uh, grew up in the area, knew the house really well. She admitted that uh, in her teenage years, she used to try to break into the house because it was reputed to be haunted. But she is one that seems to have that connection where she can directly hear voices uh, and speak to spirits and stuff. She's actually one of the ones that came up with an alternate history for the young lady that lived in the barn. Um, she was told a story from a disembodied voice or um, something. There was, one, there was one dream I had after we started doing, when we started getting more into the investigation part. I had a very vivid dream where uh, I was eating a Buffalo Wild Wings. Michelle's the manager at <laughs> Buffalo Wild Wings. There. And, but it was really weird because I had all my ghost hunting equipment with me too. I'm like, all right, whatever. And I, I'm Which making... We've done an investigation there. That was kind of fun. So, so as I'm getting up to leave, I look over and I see one of their walls. Is, it's boarded up almost like a house. And there's smoke and fire coming from the other side. And there's people trying to get out. I'm like, oh my God, it's, you know, I run up to the, to the boards and I try ripping them, ripping them off. And I get a couple down and I jump in there and, and the smoke clears. I, I'm in a graveyard. I'm looking around and I'm, I'm in a graveyard. I wake up and I tell Michelle about this because, you know, she manages Buffalo Wild Wings. I said, I have this really weird dream. I told her about it. And she was a little shocked because they ended up doing a fundraiser for this family that ended up burning in a house. Uh, it, was, it was on Drummond Island, and it was uh, a family of four. Uh, it was girlfriend, her boyfriend, and then her two kids. And her boyfriend went in to try and rescue the two kids. One ended up living, but uh, both her boyfriend and her son, uh, her other son, ended up perishing in this fire. And we were doing a fundraiser for them, and it, the timing was, was very odd about that because he hadn't known about it at that point. So you do a bit of traveling. You've been to Gettysburg. You've been to Hinsdale House. Uh, do you ever make it to the other side of the border? Not on an investigation no. uh, aspect, but we did go down to my uh, my old college town down in Alma, Michigan. 
And we got some really good hits there too. I almost forgot oh, yeah. about that one. Yeah, that was that was a very interesting place. Um, very specifically, there was uh, what was the name of that? The, the UN house. The U the UN house the the multicultural house. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, we we did an actual uh, um, full on spirit box session and on this multicultural halls down in Alma. And um, as we were setting up and we are doing all, you know, just going through the basic questions, we keep hearing a name that keeps coming across, and it was David. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm running the camera at that time, and I keep noticing that one of the students that was at the end of the table kept on covering his mouth and basically being in awe. And then after about the third or fourth time, he says, I, I have a confession. I'm, I'm David. And it just kept on trying to cut, like we'd ask, uh, you know, uh, what was one of the questions, like, who are, who are you here to contact? And then it would just keep saying David or Dave, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and it's like, do you have anything you want to say to David? And, you know, it said, what is it, thank you for... He had been uh, experimenting with lucid dreaming, and uh, it sounded like it connected to that. <laughs> but it was an extremely interesting setup, of, and, and it just caught us all, all of us off guard because we didn't know the, the kid's name at the time. And well, I did because I paid attention. <laughs> well, I, I didn't, I guess. But um, but yeah, it was it was a very interesting thing there. I, I'd be something actually go back and look on too. But as for going across the actual border, the reason we haven't done that and we didn't cross, well, obviously we didn't cut across Canada because we can't right now. The border's completely closed. We're right. in the But um, we're afraid to bring the equipment across because some of it looks a little strange. <laughs> and Border Patrol tends to be very uh, rigorous <laughs> on their uh, inspections of cars and stuff. And if they saw, you know, a uh, lunchbox size uh, metal box with copper wires coming out of it and all sorts of equipment hooked to it. Yellow sure. tape. Yeah, not sure how they would react to that one. Well, the three of you look like a bunch of terrorists for sure. <laughs> We're really not looking to end up in jail over this. No. <laughs> We're having any of our equipment destroyed. And ultimately, it wasn't that much longer of a drive, more or less. I mean, there's interesting stuff below on the way to be obviously with Gettysburg and uh, uh, Jim, uh, Jim Thorpe Hotel and um, went to Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow, yeah. yeah. That's fine. So do that's you something that uh, we're not saying no to that. Any, any place that has um, really nice places to investigate or places that have been, uh, basically places that have piqued our interest, if they're within our Financial and, and grasp, like we're gonna we're gonna try our best to go there and, and, and see what we can what we can find. We'll just have to be cautious about what we take with us across the border. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you uh, take uh, personal homes if people call and say, "I think uh, my place is haunted"? Do you bother with that, or or would you rather just stay to the buildings you want to go to? We we've touched on that a little bit, but it's gotten kind of weird a couple times. Mm -hmm. um, I think ultimately what comes down to that is when we go, say, to a location like that, um, where, say, a loved one has passed, um, since it's so close to the family, we, we, we have a very hard time with uh, right. um, trying to get evidence, whether saying that it's a, a negative deal when it's a loved one who passed, may say, like grandma, I don't think. Grandma is knocking vases over or something of that nature. So, right. Um, the, the, the last house call we went to, um, he the gentleman told us that he, he thinks there's a demon there. We're like, all right, well, we'll check it out. You know, we'll check out this demon. So we go there, and we, he ends up telling us that he kept the, his dead father's ashes, and he tried to use them to contact his dead mother also, and he kept his dad's ashes underneath his porch. Mm. So this is before we even entered the. The house, and we're like, oh crap. You know, and then it gets to be the point where how do you gently tell someone that maybe that's not the best way to handle yeah. someone's uh, remains? You, you want to take care of that disembodied voice in the background? <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys ever been to an investigation where you, you 
like actually felt fear and thought, man, this isn't a good idea and let's get out of here? In sale. Okay. Um, that would probably be the first one. I was, I have said it a couple times. I'm probably kind of sick of hearing it. When she was telling that story about Frederick, uh, it's the first time in my life where I ever experienced, you know, what you read in books where I had a cold wave of fear pass through me. I didn't really understand what that meant until that point. And all of a sudden, I just really felt afraid. I didn't really feel, like, afraid, afraid when I was in that house. I just felt like, like, I need to get out of the house. Like, I felt like I, I need, to, need to go. Like, it wasn't fear. It was just... We really need to go. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. I haven't had so much a fear of in any particular location, but the day that I ended up getting scratched at Mission Hill Cemetery, when I was with a crew that was being disrespectful that I've never gone with before, um, at the time, it was not so much a fear but I had this feeling like somebody was right over my shoulder getting ready to punch me. And I just get that it was an abnormal, it wasn't my emotion. I felt like I'm, like, I feel like I'm going to get hit from behind and there was nothing behind me. Mm-hmm. It, and it, it's not so, it wasn't a fear. It was just an, almost like an anxiety. And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't really, I didn't like, I didn't like how it felt. It felt alien to me because uh, you know, where, where I work, I work in a, I work in a prison. It's kind of like that same, <laughs> that same mentality of somebody's walking behind you with ill intent. Mm-hmm. And at that same time, my stomach is burning real bad. And I just feel like somebody's going to slug me in the back of the head. And that's, that's the feel overall feeling that I had. So I had to go and recollect myself away from the area. But right. So what's uh what location would be on the bucket list then? Or are you going to ask that, Rachel? Hey, Rachel <laughs> wants to know. <laughs> what's on the bucket list? I wish I could list? kick you. You keep Sorry. taking my questions. You need to put your hand up. Apparently. <laughs> um, I really want to go to the Conjuring House. Uh, that's a bit of a drive. Yeah. Oh, where's it though? <laughs> we made a fun little trip of it. Uh, you know, we did that with Hinsdale. Yeah, right. I personally have always really wanted to go to Waverly Hills Sanitarium. Mm-hmm. My uh, my degree in college was all psychology and deviant behavior, so I would I would like to visit some of the you know Pennhurst and stuff like that. Some of the right. Some of the asylums. Yeah, yeah. We, there are the actual penitentiaries, like some of the old haunted uh, haunted prisons. That's that's something that would be relatively unique. Say like uh, since since I'm a corrections officer by actual profession, I wanted to see if something of that nature can also kind of elicit some sort of evidence as well. And uh, um, like a reaction, yeah, kind of like a reaction thing where you're the, you, might you're, you would be the trigger object, right? Well, as long as a camera on it, that'd be great. Luke, you would you would be the living trigger object in the prison, right? <laughs> I think that's yeah. I think that'd be a, a good way of putting it, honestly. For sure. <laughs> you know, sure. That just says guinea pig. <laughs> <laughs> About uh, buffalo wings, you said it, it was it haunted or uh, the buffalo wild wings or wild wings? Yes. Uh, we got a few hits. Ultimately, what we kind of dis- uh, decided it was was uh, residual energy. Mm-hmm. That's the spirits of all the chickens you cooked. Yeah, <laughs> things being done. Uh, we were getting a whole lot of hits. We were kind of trying out the portal for the first time. We had just gotten it put together, and uh, we weren't getting a lot of hits. So Mike asks, uh, you know, this is Michelle. She works here. Do you know her? And the response was immediately, uh, we see you. We see you, right? And I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's what you want, right? Yeah. And, yeah, uh, and, you know, that was a good one. <laughs> like earlier, you you talked about people don't you know want to know that their spirits like in their business or their home or their their town hall, but the one thing we keep saying all the time is spirits are everywhere. Well, we even we even did one of the local bars here, uh, and that was that was a pretty fun one too. It used to be an old motel, and it's one of those ones that the building is super super old, almost as old as the the town itself. But yeah, we did one of the local bars here and it just, everyone we talked to, oh, here's my experience here. It's almost always, 
you know, different but similar to everyone else's stories that we heard. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was really cool. And nothing uh, happened at the uh, prison at all? Did you? Uh, we didn't actually do any investigations at the prison, and, uh, um, but where I work, there's a lot of, a lot of really bad stuff that happens basically kind of like on a daily, weekly basis. There's always something going on, but to pinpoint anything paranormal is really difficult to do right. um, when you have, you know, 260 people in one, one building. So, yeah. Um, so much negativity, just, right? And it, but if, if there was, if it was completely empty, oh yeah, I would, I would like to, uh, to try to see what things could be found in there because that's a breeding ground for negativity. That's absolutely, absolutely true. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> I was a corrections officer for 15 years. Oh, wow. hey, yeah. um, I do know someone who worked out at the lofts. We have the lofts here and people died building them and stuff. Can't name any names, but they told me one time there's one story they don't really like to talk about outside of the security force there. And that's that one of the cameras that just points at just a blank wall. You know, there's a sidewalk there, but during the night, there's a light that shines there, and they regularly see a disembodied shadow. I mean, there's no way that anything could make a shadow on that wall, because you can see the light, you can see the wall, if anything were in between it. Physically, you would be able to see it, but you see this shadow of a man uh, regularly there. So there are things that they... Again, like the, the one warning I was told is that they don't like to talk about it outside of the actual security that works at the locks. Hmm. How do uh, people get in touch with you uh, if uh, they would like an investigation of their spooky buildings? Well, we have a Facebook page. You can find us on there. Facebook.com backslash Suria Ghostbusters. And that's S-O-O. Yeah, S-O-O. We also have a uh, website, uh, Ghostbusters.com. Um, which will be updated very soon, but it has a lot of contact info on there as well. Right. Um, we're on Instagram and YouTube, uh, just basically the same uh, formula, Suary Ghostbusters, S-O-O. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfaction@outlook.com.